everybody, and welcome back to the Snark Knights podcast, a podcast where we talk about comic book movies. I am your co-host, Snark Knight Luke, and with me, as always... Snark Knight Jahan, the one who doesn't have a Star Wars name. <laughs> Could be. Yeah, maybe one of the aliens. Yeah. Um, even my brother is a Star Wars character now. Kanan Jarrus, the main Jedi from Rebels, his real name is Caleb. Ooh. Yeah. Delayed gratification for your brother, but pretty sweet. Made me happy. <laughs> Anywho, something we didn't mention in our last episode, which was Superman 4. I'm sure it was announced at that point. Currently on Supergirl, John Cryer is Lex Luthor. Full circle, baby. It's after the fact now, but I feel like that was a good choice. Yeah. So, shall we get into this? Let's do it. Today, we are talking about 2016's Deadpool. Deadpool was created by George Perez and Marv Wolfman, first appearing in The New Teen Titans, number two, <laughs> published in 1980. Oh, sorry, that was the uh, that was the first iteration of Deadpool. <laughs> Deadpool, as we know him today, was created by Fabian Nicesia and Rob Liefeld, first appearing in The New Mutants, number 98, published in 1991. Can you tell us about the latest iteration of Deadpool? Yes. Deadpool was directed by Tim Miller and stars Ryan Reynolds, Morena Baccarin, Ed Screen, Gina Carano. Sorry if I'm mispronouncing this. The voice of Stefan Kapikik, Brianna Hildebrand, Leslie Uggams, Karen Sonny, Jed Reese, and uh, TJ Miller. TJ, replaced by Christopher Plummer in the sequel, Miller. <laughs> so, tell us about this movie, Jahan. Sure thing. So, for those of you who haven't seen it, watch it before you listen to this. I don't know how you missed it the first time around, but Deadpool is a movie that jumps around in time a lot until probably the last 40 minutes, mm -hmm. and uh, the movie begins in the middle of an exciting chase scene. But in uh, what I guess is the opposite of the spirit of this film, I'm going to tell the story chronologically and without breaking the fourth wall. So huh. here we go. Wade Wilson, a former Special Forces operative, is kind of, sort of a mercenary in generic American city number five. He takes on work that targets sexual harassers and abusers, which is woke. But he also takes money to do that stuff, which is sleepy. While unwinding in the mercenary bar Sister Margaret's School for Wayward Girls, Wade meets Vanessa, a sex worker with a potty mouth but a heart of gold. Since that also describes Wade if you replace sex worker with mercenary, they hit it off, fall in love, and even get engaged. But this isn't some Ryan Reynolds romantic comedy. This is a Ryan Reynolds action romance light sci-fi superhero dramedy. So Wade gets diagnosed with terminal cancer, and rather than subjecting Vanessa to the role of supportive partner that she's more than willing to take on, he leaves her to die alone. But before he can die alone, a mysterious recruiter approaches Wade at Sister Margaret's, offering him an experimental cure for his cancer in return for zero catches. Absolutely a good, fair, straightforward deal. Wade laughs it off, but as all desperate men do, he eventually buys into the far-fetched scheme. He is taken to an unsanitary, murky warehouse-slash-science lab-slash-serial-killer's-dream workspace and is subjected to a battery of weird chemicals and experiments by a guy in a white coat named Francis and his powerful lady friend and right-hand scary person, Angel. 
The purpose of their human experimentation is to induce stress and trigger any mutations Wade may have, a process with a mixed success rate. Even worse, Francis tells Wade that in the end, any successful mutations will result in that person getting forced into slavery and sold to the highest bidder. But there's a silver lining. An experiment that should have killed Wade activates a superhuman healing ability that horribly scars his flesh, but here's his cancer. Francis taunts Wade by saying the scars are reversible, but only he knows how to fix Wade's complexion. And since Wade has been, uh, generously describe him as an uncooperative patient, Francis refuses to fix his skin. Realizing that he could be hours away from slavery, Wade uses his wits and a loose match to start a huge fire in this warehouse of horrors. He finds Francis in the chaos and attacks him, but days of experimentation and torture leave Wade at less than 100%, and Francis escapes before the lab burns down. Wade, alive but rudderless, has no idea how to proceed. He tracks down Vanessa, but is too self-conscious about his gnarly scars to reveal himself to her. He remembers Francis taunting him about curing the scarring and decides to find him and force the weird science guy to fix his flesh before murdering him. After some trial and error with a name and costume, Wade becomes the vigilante Deadpool. With the help of his bartender friend Weasel and his elderly blind roommate Al, Wade sets off to interrogate anyone and everyone connected to Francis until he can find the man who wronged him. How does Wade know who any of these people are? How does he find any of them to even get started on this process? Who knows? But the montage of him fucking people up is funny and exciting, so just enjoy it. Eventually, he finds the guy who recruited him and gets the information he needs to complete his mission. So Deadpool attacks a convoy of henchmen traveling with Francis. Unfortunately, despite a great combination chase-fight scene that brings us to the opening scene of the film, Deadpool is interrupted mid-closure by the X-Men Colossus and X-Men trainee Negasonic Teenage Warhead before he can secure Francis. Colossus, a giant metal man that you may or may not recognize from the other X-Men movies because this is a very different iteration of Colossus, wants Deadpool to change his ways and join the X-Men, but the well-intentioned metallic Russian only succeeds in distracting Deadpool long enough for Francis to escape. Negasonic Teenage Warhead, meanwhile, is perpetually bemused and decides to save her incredible powers for the third act. Meanwhile, unsatisfied with survival and the chance to continue being a horrible slave trader, Francis and Angel turn the investigative tables on Deadpool and find out about Vanessa, who they kidnap and take to an enormous, decommissioned naval carrier that serves as the setting for the third act showdown. Deadpool convinces Colossus and Negasonic Teenage Warhead to help him, since there don't appear to be any other X-Men around. Although the two X-Men are barely a match for Angel, they at least distract her while Deadpool goes through a bunch of mercenaries on his way up to Francis and Vanessa. Despite taking a knife to the brain and totally destabilizing the vessel they're fighting on to the point where it starts collapsing, Wade manages to save Vanessa and get the better of Francis. Unfortunately for our mouthy but endearing hero, his creator and tormentor reveals that there's no cure after all, and he simply said there was to fuck with Wade. Colossus intervenes before Deadpool can kill Francis, by giving a rousing speech about heroism to convince Deadpool to spare his enemy. But halfway through the speech, Deadpool just shoots Francis in the face. Luckily, this is above all else a romantic comedy, so despite his horrible permanent scarring, Wade and Vanessa make amends and resume their relationship. Unfortunately for the purposes of this summary, this film's plot is not what makes it a good or enjoyable film. The joy of Deadpool comes from the straightforward romantic comedy slash sassy-mouthed characters slash sporadic and consistently amusing breaking of the fourth wall. So yeah, that that's the Deadpool. Luke, do you have a more Deadpool-y synopsis for us? Travel all the way back to 2016! when comic book movies were hitting their stride. One studio will finally take a risk. Fox! Wait, 
Fox? The studio that just one year prior made the worst Fantastic Four movie ever? And later that year did X-Men Apocalypse? And are currently handing over New Mutants and Dark Phoenix for Disney to release however they want to? That Fox? Anyway, yeah, they gave us Deadpool! A movie that was allowed to be made by people who really love the property the way they wanted to make it. What a weird idea. Are you an adult who is still a raunchy, joke-loving 12-year-old on the inside? A comic fan who just wants to have a movie that's as fun as the source material? A creator who loves taking all the credit for something you barely conceptualized? The owner of a hot topic looking for easily moved product? Or an irresponsible parent who has yet to have the sex talk with their kids? If so, then you'll love the merc with a mouth, Captain Deadpool. Just just no, Deadpool. Just Deadpool. Yeah. <laughs> so before we get into the, the meat of the Deadpools, I just would like to uh, follow up your credits for the film earlier by listing off the credits as provided in the opening of the film. Go for it. So as Luke mentioned, this is directed by Tim Miller, written by Ryan Reynolds and Tim Miller, and starring all of the wonderful people that you listed. However, according to the film, this is Some Douchebags Film, starring God's Perfect Idiot, A Hot Chick, A British Villain, The Comic Relief, A Moody Teen, A CGI Character, A Gratuitous Cameo, Rest in Peace Stanley, Produced by Asshats, Written by the Real Heroes Here, and Directed by an Overpaid Tool. Unfortunately for that last note, they decided to not overpay him for the sequel. Huh. The whole idea of those joke credits in the opener were because they were placeholders in the script, since uh, Tim Miller and Ryan Reynolds started writing this years before anyone else got involved. I enjoyed the opening credits, but let's talk about Rob Liefeld and Deadpool, the comic book character, shall we? I will recuse myself from the snarkiness here because I'm familiar with Rob Liefeld and his, I guess, whatever the opposite of a foot fetish is, but mm -hmm. you have certainly consumed more of his work over the years, so I defer to you. Yeah. Rob Liefeld seems like a easygoing, genuinely affable guy, but for Deadpool, which he gets so much credit, he has basically three cameos in this movie including one personal, and then his name is dropped twice. Yeah. He drew Deadpool in maybe 10 issues. Everything that Deadpool is currently known for, like the comedy aspect... The fourth wall breaking and such. Especially the fourth wall breaking, wasn't done until 1997, when a writer named Joe Kelly and a then-unknown artist named Ed McGuinness started Deadpool's ongoing series. So it's super frustrating how much credit Rob Liefeld gets for basically drawing Spider-Man with swords. Yeah. And as I pointed out in my comic creator's highlight, Deadpool's basically a ripoff of the DC character Deathstroke. And uh, yep. I am not pulling this out of my ass. It has been observed by many people inside and outside of comics. It was observed by Fabian Cieza, who was the writer. <laughs> yeah. Fabian Cieza was the person who gave Deadpool the real name Wade Wilson, because Deathstroke's real name is Slade Wilson. Bonus points to the Marvel guys for adding alliteration to a character's name, though. Yes. And at this point, 
Deadpool has a sort of mixed relationship with comic book fans. Older fans tend to find him a little annoying because he's so overexposed. Similar to Wolverine or Batman. They're sure. just, they're putting everything because it makes books sell. Mm-hmm. And uh, unlike those characters who are a little more broody and punchy, Deadpool's a little more gimmicky. And in the hands of a good writer, it doesn't feel this way at all. But the uh, yeah. the comedy and the fourth wall breaking, it very easily lends itself to unoriginal shtick. And uh, luckily, there have been enough talented comedic writers who take on Deadpool and do a great job with the mm-hmm. character. But in my limited reading of the character, there's just as many writers who take the easy way out humor-wise. And sort of on that note, in 2009 is when I gave up on reading Deadpool. I'll still pick up a book here or there, but back in 2009, a miniseries and a giant size one-shot came out. The miniseries was called Suicide Kings. It was five issues. The one-shot was called Games of Death. Both of them have the exact same plot. Hmm. So both of them came out the same year. The plot is... Rich guy hires Wade for something. Wade finishes mission. Rich guy tries to kill Deadpool. Deadpool goes for revenge. Hold on. It gets better. I bet it does. Both of these were written by the same guy. So that's a lot of background on Deadpool for you guys. I would like to uh, add a postscript to your thoughts on Deadpool and its creators. I will allow it. Uh, Thank you, Your Honor. (laughs) I've heard Rob Liefeld described as a backwards hat wearing a backwards hat. Yep. Even when he wears a hat forward, it's still somehow backwards. Yeah. For anybody who does want to read Deadpool stuff, do go back and read the early Joe Kelly stuff. It is really good. And if you want to read a nice little slice of Deadpool that only lasted a few issues because they brought on a talented writer due to the series' very low sales at the time, and then just abruptly canceled it despite her doing a tremendous job on it, check out Gail Simone's run on Deadpool. Yep, unfortunately, what, like five issues? Yeah, they gave her one arc, canceled it, then let her do a uh, spinoff series from one of the characters. (laughs) Truly bizarre business decisions have occurred around this character, but Deadpool's occasionally worth it, and when it it works, it really works, as we see in this film. (laughs) So, into the movie... We open with four jokes about balls in the first seven minutes. And don't worry, there are more in the subsequent hour and a half. Yeah, this is a weird movie in that I like that it's rated R. Tone down the ball jokes a little. It'll help the movie age well. (laughs) Yeah. On the note of it being rated R, I did appreciate that they committed to making this an R movie because the way big studios think is not the way you and I would think. So, for example, uh, the movie Watchmen, rated R, critically fine, uh, commercially did fine, but it didn't blow any records away. And the takeaway for studios wasn't that this was a nigh-impossible thing to adapt that was decently adapted, and uh, if it didn't make a ton of money, you know, there's plenty of reasons, whether it's the tone of the film or people not being familiar with the source or it just being a a little too much for casual audiences to recommend word-of-mouth-wise. Um, the studio's takeaway is people don't want to see rated R superhero movies. And uh, you get that same sort of weird-ass thinking around other types of 
not groundbreaking necessarily, but like pioneering films in a sense. Uh, for example, the uh, president of Marvel, Ike Perlmutter, famously said mm. regarding female-led superhero movie that it's just not viable because Catwoman didn't make a ton of money. Audiences don't want this. And then the week Wonder Woman came out, they're like, all right, we're going to have a uh, Captain Marvel movie, which is now doing wonderfully and well-deserved. But I just wanted to highlight the weird, illogical thinking that goes into these movies that lead to Deadpool being the first major rated R superhero movie since Watchmen nearly a decade prior and a prominent person at a company that highlights, and rightfully so, highlights diversity in its creators and its work, saying stuff like, no one wants to see a female-led superhero movie. Yeah, and on the plus side, after this, we get Logan. Yeah, all we can do is hope that the right things proceed and do well and we support them. Um, even <laughs> if they make a lot of ball jokes, we we take our hat off and yeah. salute the Deadpools. Yes. And it is very rated R, uh, this opening scene, guy getting bullet in the head. This whole opening freeway scene is goddamn amazing. There's so much put into, like, the framing, and there are so many moving parts, especially between the still shot of the SUV flipping that's used during the opening credits and the camera moving around that and being able to follow it. Yeah, that was part of what helped them sell the movie as well, because uh, Tim Miller and Ryan Reynolds conceptualized this chase scene really early on and uh, shot some test footage of it, and that subsequently leaked and led to a lot of fan interest and helped mm -hmm. them get it greenlit. So yeah, it, it is, in a sense, the heart of the film. Yes, and as you mentioned, the movie hops around in time, and the first time I saw this... I remember I, I didn't know how I felt about that, but it works. Considering it's a movie that breaks the fourth wall a lot, it wouldn't be honest to the story they're trying to tell. I think that as a movie-going member of the public, we've seen 90 versions of the superhero origin story ever since Superman came up with it 40 years ago. So it was, uh, it was mm -hmm. refreshing. Even though it's just editing tricks to break stuff up, it, it was refreshing. Yeah. And we also get our first glimpse of the fully CGI Colossus. And damn, is that good CGI. They've come a long way. It looks great. Yeah, and considering there's a competing Colossus in Fox's other X-Men movies, it's <laughs> a jarring contrast because all due respect to the main X-Men franchise Colossus, but he basically looks like the Silver Surfer. It's just a, a weird chrome job CGI. Mm-hmm. I do enjoy the way they deal with uh, dismemberment because at one point he severs his own hand to escape a handcuff and then Ugh. throws back a baby hand, which is disgusting, but also yeah. very amusing. Yeah, it works. Mm -hmm. And as he rightly points out, when he then masturbates, it'll make him feel huge. Ugh. <laughs> it's just so gross sometimes. Uh, you pointed out this movie's basically for adults who are still 12 years old. Moving into our first flashback, it's very good at establishing who Wade is. Where he's in a guy's apartment, and he's fucking with the guy, and then pizza delivery guy's there, and that's who Wade is actually there to fuck with. And within that is a scene where the guy who owns the apartment giving Wade his wallet to just go away, and Wade just takes the wallet. 
He also takes a shit in the guy's litter box, even though the guy doesn't have a cat or a litter box. Yeah. And then we also get to see Wade's lair hide out the bar where he goes to hang out with his friends. Sister Margaret's school for wayward girls. Yep. And that is directly lifted from the comics. Nice. So there's a bet in the bar, a Deadpool, if you will, to see which one of all of these mercenaries will die first. So Wade, as a prank, is ordering someone a drink called a blowjob, which then T.J. Miller's character gives a full description of what the drink is. Jokes are funnier when you explain them. Right. Ugh. And... Then we meet Vanessa. Yay. Wade's soulmate. And every Firefly fan's crush. Yes. Dear God, those two have amazing chemistry. Yeah, and on top of that, comedically, she keeps up with him. Oh, yeah. Considering he's a Jabberjaw character, that's not easily done. They're, they're a great match. Yeah, you totally buy their relationship. They're both so incredibly broken but they're broken in the exact same way, so they fit together perfectly. That's also the root of their relationship. They both try to outdo each other on who had the worst life. Mm-hmm. And it's it's cute, despite it being a horrible thing where they're comparing terrible stories. It's adorable. Yeah. And that leads into a great montage about them fitting together perfectly. They have holiday sex. Yes. And that's the point in my synopsis. I mentioned grown people taking their children to this movie, even though it's rated R. Yeah, probably not the best R-rated movie to take your kids to. No, and it makes me appreciate them making it a hard R all the more. I actually disagree because uh, this movie tried to portray Wade as a feminist, and I have thoughts about that that I can get into later. But Hmm. in a way, this movie was very progressive because Vanessa pegs Wade in a major studio superhero film. (laughs) Yes. Um, I I was the only person in my theater who laughed when they said Happy Lent. Oh, that's too bad. That was one of the best jokes. It was great! So then we find out Wade has cancer. And that scene of them sitting in the doctor's office is incredible. Where all the sound drops away, Vanessa is just grabbing the reins, asking questions of the doctor... And Wade just can't focus on anything. It's this really real moment. And there are a couple of those in this movie that they allow to just be serious moments. Kevin Feige. Yeah. Yes. Without undercutting them with a joke. It's also just emotionally satisfying as a viewer. They don't pull the rug out from under you. Yeah. Helps make their relationship feel more real. Absolutely. And we get to see Teb. It's not actually his name, he's only known as the Recruiter, but Jed Reese, to me, will always be Teb, T-E-B. From Galaxy Quest. From Galaxy Quest. It's a very unfortunate hairline that makes him very recognizable. Yes, if you saw Galaxy Quest and thought that was a wardrobe decision, it's not. But he's a good character actor, and uh, yeah, he's a little underused as the Recruiter here, but does a great job. Yes. So the recruiter is getting Wade, who was a black ops guy, to volunteer for a program to save his life. And we meet Ajax and Angel, who in the comics is Angel Dust. 
It's weird that they removed the dust aspect for a rated R movie. Um, and lots of dark stuff in this really, really skeezy place. The movie juggles genres a lot, and then it just hits you really hard with the horror yeah. for this part. Yeah. And being taken in, Ryan Reynolds makes a joke about getting a superhero costume, but he doesn't want it green or animated, which may be too meta. It's also the first time and only time he breaks the fourth wall before becoming Deadpool. Yeah, good point to talk about that. In the comics, the reason why Deadpool breaks the fourth wall and things like that is a byproduct of his transformation because he's always healing. His brain is constantly in flux. I don't know how I feel about the actual experiment because it's there to unlock an already present X-gene, which means Wade is a mutant. And they did zero research on finding these people. Theoretically, it's all just terminally ill former soldiers. Yes. This is the kind of thing where uh, you just nod and play along and try not to think about it or it starts to unravel. Yeah. Yeah, that aspect doesn't help either. But in the comics, Wade is not a mutant. He is a human who gets cancer, and I'm okay with them not doing this part, but he's given a healing factor taken directly from Wolverine. Oh. So he's technically an altered human, not a mutant. I'm okay with it. I guess it helps explain why the X-Men are trying to recruit him in the context of just this movie. Yeah. It's fine. Just thought we should mention it. Fair enough. Um, and threw it all lots of fun little jokes about sewing his mouth shut. Yes, because this is not Ryan Reynolds' first appearance as this character. You. But uh, we have to draw another movie out of a hat before we can really get into that. That one will be so much fun. And we do get just enough backstory on Ajax. Um, he was originally an experiment, just like Wade. Ride his nerve endings. Yes. But that's the downside. Yes, because then he also has super strength and whatnot. I think strength and reflexes. Yes. I'm assuming similar to Darkman. Hey, much prettier than Darkman. Yes, but he mentioned that he was an experiment and broke free, killed the people who did the experiment to him, and took over. A real pull-yourself-up-by-the-bootstraps kind of guy. <laughs> We should all aspire. Yep. And so this is where we see Deadpool physically becoming Deadpool. And I've got to say, it's kind of disappointing how not ugly he is. Still very much Ryan Reynolds' face, just wrinkly. Yeah. He just looks like he has a skin condition. You can post a picture of what he's supposed to look like on her Twitter, at SnarkNightsPod. <laughs> hey, I will. So then Wade escapes the facility and goes on a killing rampage to try to find Ajax. Yeah, he starts at the theoretically the bottom of the organization and works his way up to uh, the recruiter, who then gives up the actual location. Yes, and this montage, my highlights are killing a guy very, very slowly with a Zamboni. Wonderful. <laughs> yes, and questioning sexism. Always a plus. He cocks his gun and he's clearly going to shoot someone. 100% going to kill those ladies. Yes. And eventually we make our way into a strip club. 
And is this possibly the most messed up Stanley cameo? MC at a strip club. It's certainly my favorite. It's just kind of weird, because it's like, not you, Grandpa Stan. His bombastic and verbose way of communicating fits that role really well. It does. He's so at home announcing next stripper. (laughs) It's surreal, almost. (laughs) Yeah. And... This is the first movie we've done with a Stanley cameo where he didn't create the character. Originally, those were the only movies he was showing up in. Okay. Um, he didn't have a cameo in Punisher, and I think that's actually about it. Yeah, I guess Iron Man came out, uh, like, what, six years after Punisher? So. Yeah. Once MCU started, they were just like, we'll put him in all of them. Why not? We need to talk about Blind Al. Sure. Blind Al is a delight. Yes, so Blind Al is Wade's roommate. Uh, She is an elderly blind lady who he meets at a laundromat who has a wonderful sense of smell because she can smell the blood (laughs) on his clothes and advises him on how to best launder them. She's also a heavy former cocaine user. Yeah, lots of references to drug use. Yeah. She is feisty. I would say she's, she's more dry than feisty. Fair. Eventually, we make our way to the final showdown, and I still love me some old-school DMX. Uh, Considering how this movie tries to subvert comic book tropes and cliches, it's kind of weird that they had the most traditional third-act ending to a superhero movie, but it's framed with a horrible murder and a DMX song, so... (laughs) Yeah, but... Sometimes if something works, just do it, because this whole last fight scene, every bit of it is great. Yeah, it was was good. Um, I think Deadpool mercenary shootout bits of it were a little less interesting, especially because we've seen him doing that for an hour and a half at this point. But Colossus and Negasonic Teenage Warhead fighting Angel was a lot of fun. Yes. And then Deadpool getting stabbed in the brain and us getting to uh, absorb (laughs) that in the form of a song being played in a distorted way was really effective, actually. He also hallucinates a bunch. That was fun. I enjoyed that a lot, too, because there was a knife interrupting his brain. Yeah. And it looked a little bit like uh, if anyone's watched the show Happy or read the comic Happy, got like a little bit of that, like cute little animated creatures popping up amidst all of his horrible brain damage. Yeah. And we also get possibly the most badass moment of the movie, Deadpool spelling out Ajax's real name, which is Francis, in bodies. Yep. And to the fight scenes, so happy that they over-exaggerated how athletic and fast everybody is in this movie. Yeah, it's very martial artsy. Yeah, and... It's more comic booky, and I really love that, because these are superheroes. Yep. And the day is saved. Ryan Reynolds finally takes his mask off in front of Vanessa, and he's been fighting this entire time with a picture of Hugh Jackman stapled to his face under his mask. Literally stapled to his face. Yep. That is commitment to a bit. <laughs> Very laudable. Yes. And observation... Careless Whisper is a weird choice. It sounds great, but it's not actually a romantic song. It's about a guy cheating on his girlfriend and not being able to get an erection again because he feels too guilty. 
But it's one of those songs that sounds romantic as hell. So they also shift into uh, animated credits with it that mesh really well. (laughs) Yeah. And a post credit sequence, which is a direct takeoff of Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Shot for shot. Or I guess at least the one shot. Yeah. (laughs) But does include him saying. Beautiful. And they also speculate on casting for Cable. Although Kira Knightley did not make the cut. I'll throw this on Twitter too. There are mock-ups of Kira Knightley as Cable, and it looks great. Yep. And more or less, that's Deadpool. Yay. Uh, do you have anything else? This is uh, a pretty simple movie to talk about. Yeah. But I have one note, because we we clearly both enjoy this movie a lot um, for, for all of its flaws, but... I just wanted to point out that while this movie does a really good job of establishing characters and making them all come to life, whether it's it's Wade or the supporting characters, um, one aspect of it that didn't really ring true was the portrayal of Wade as a feminist. This is this first comes up in his origin scene as a mercenary that you mentioned, where he's in the guy's apartment and confronts the pizza delivery guy who is stalking someone, and he confronts the stalker on behalf of the woman being stalked. And mm-hmm. Wade gives a nice little speech about agency and autonomy as he, at gunpoint, convinces this guy to leave the woman alone but then it's cheapened by the fact that he's doing it for money and this aspect of his character is undermined further in the advice he gives dupinder the adorable cab driver he befriends mm-hmm. so dupinder has a crush on gita a woman who is in love with dupinder's cousin and deadpool advises dupinder vaguely to be fair <laughs> to get his cousin out of the picture and later in the film we find out that dupinder has kidnapped his cousin and intends to kill him and leave the body at gita's doorstep uh, the X-Men, who are with him at this point in the cab later in the movie, judgmentally stare at Deadpool, which is a generous assessment of that advice. And Deadpool <laughs> claims that that wasn't his advice, but then whispers kidnap her to Depender, maybe jokingly, but still suggesting that a man obsessed with a woman kidnap that woman, a man who has clearly taken his earlier advice in the worst possible way. So you could argue that in comics, Deadpool's kind of a chaotic scamp who fucks with people all the time. Um, but this movie goes out of its way to portray him a little differently, at, at least in, in this one respect, and then kind of fails to do so, and in the Dupinder example, in a, in a profoundly bad way. So I just wanted to highlight that, and I guess all that aside, I want to mention again how much I appreciated Vanessa pegging Wade. That was truly progressive. <laughs> yeah, the, the portrayals of women in this film are generally well done, because the, the women are portrayed pretty well, and, and really better than we've come to expect from comic book movies until the last couple of years, mm-hmm. especially the, the female character that had the least motivation to make interesting ends up having an incredible presence in her limited screen time. And this character also has the best name of everyone in the movie, because I am of course referring to Negasonic teenage warhead. Yes. And Wade's reaction, finding out her code name. Yes, exactly how we all reacted. At least those of us who weren't yes. familiar with the character. Yeah. And understandably, nobody really was the character in the comics at that time had one, maybe two small background appearances, and mm. the most notable thing about her was her name. I couldn't even tell you what her original power set was. I mean, we only see her basically burst into flame and then tackle Angel in a uh, moderate fiery explosion. Yes, which is radically different from what we did see of her in the comics. But her name is taken from the, as far as I know, first single from the band Monster Magnet back in the mid-90s. Oh, wow. That's a deep cut? It is very random. 
but it's a name that sticks with you. Oh, yeah. And then they clearly got to use her because they wanted to use Colossus, but wanted to use somebody else. I'm sure Fox said, here's a list of the people we'll let you use. Someone saw that name on that list and said, done. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and actually, before we uh, wrap things up, I just wanted to say to our listeners, we're called the Snark Knights, so obviously we like to have fun here and make jokes and make fun of stuff. But at the end of the day, the most important thing for both of us is that we're here to learn and we're here to help you learn. So I would like to very seriously ask Luke to discuss the physics of Dupinder driving a taxi cab containing Deadpool and Negasonic Teenage Warhead, two normally weighted humans, as well as Colossus, a presumably several ton man made of metal. (laughs) I am a fan of science. I'm actually not that smart. Woof, you did not have to clarify that, but I am 100% not editing it out. Please continue. (laughs) Thank you. In the comics, it is canon that in his human form, Colossus is 6 foot 6 inches and weighs 250 pounds. Classic NBA small forward size. (laughs) In his metal form, he is 7 foot 5 and 500 pounds. Oh, that's a lot lighter than I would have guessed. Yeah, me too. Still a lot. That's a quarter ton. Yes. The car that Dupinder is driving is a 2011 Ford Crown Victoria, which is the last model of the Crown Victoria ever produced. I have found through my research of going to the public library Good. that it is it is suggested within the owner's manual that you evenly distributed not put any more than 1,100 pounds I have also found a comment thread that someone was able to put 675 pounds of distributed brick in their trunk, and it was, quote, dragging ass the whole way. Mm. So if you put 500 pounds in one corner over that back axle, there is no way that car is driving. Thank you. Thank you. We are all smarter now. <laughs> so now that uh, we all have more powerful brains, Luke, what is your favorite thing about this movie? This is one of those movies where it's really hard to pick a favorite because there's just so much love in this movie. Thematically, creatively, they put so much into this and it, for the most part, works. So it's very hard to pick. I'm just going to go with Colossus because from a technical standpoint, he is amazing. You get that fight scene with Angel. She's able to put him in an arm bar, lifted in the air and smashed against a car. And it looks real. Yeah, tremendous wrestling move executed wonderfully considering that half of the people in that scene were on a computer. Yeah, plus to picking Gina Carano for that part, who is a trained MMA fighter. Oh, cool. She has the presence to really pull off all the stuff that that character does. Yeah. She's the most genuinely terrifying villain in the movie. Yeah. Ajax is a little too charming. Uh, So, yeah, Colossus. What is yours? In the spirit of Deadpool, as well as our snark, I will say that my favorite thing is that this movie was nominated for two Golden Globes and lost both to La La Land. <laughs> Oh, God. No, I, like you, I had trouble pinning down one thing. So 
I thought about it for a while, and I think my favorite thing was that uh, the I, I just really appreciated the tonal consistency and pacing of the film. And that sounds lazy mm-hmm. without further explanation. So I just wanted to say it first so I could frame my favorite thing more specifically because those simple things being executed successfully are actually really rare in superhero films, whether mm-hmm. it's the inconsistent tone or the pacing of the film or both. Uh, and we already talked about bathos in other Marvel films, uh, especially in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. But this film does not undercut its emotional moments. It actually forces you occasionally to linger on them to the point where it, it's almost upsetting. But it gives you a true sense of the characters and what they're going through, rather than taking the, mm-hmm. the cheap route of tossing a joke in before things get too serious. For those of you who missed our Thor Ragnarok episode, bathos is defined as an effect of anticlimax created by an unintentional or intentional lapse in mood from the dramatic or the emotional to then the trivial or ridiculous. And while it may occasionally work, nothing pops your suspension of disbelief bubble faster than characters acting inconsistently or outrageously solely to drum up a half-hearted chuckle after an emotionally potent moment. And Deadpool works very hard to avoid that. Considering how many genres this movie juggles, it's, it's almost a feat that they committed so strongly to delivering each scene in a manner that flows with the others, even if they're completely tonally different scenes. And you got a little more specific about the cancer diagnosis, and... I really appreciated that scene because the devastation is delivered as honestly and as potently as the montage of Wade and Vanessa having sex on holidays was delivered amusingly and quickly. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I just I really like that the rug is never pulled out from under us as we see the highs and the lows that these characters go through. It's a very simple plot. It's basically a, an origin movie that is cut up differently than other origin movies, but. Uh, my synopsis already highlighted the story is not the strong part of the film. It's it's more the intangibles of making the various genres and tones work together well instead of just coexisting. And those intangibles are are the real hero of the film. So hats off to Tim Miller and Ryan Reynolds for taking the time to do this right. It truly shows. Absolutely. So now that we've thoroughly established that we are fans, what would you do to fix this movie? Um, Make him a little more ugly. He just sort of looks like Ryan Reynolds with zero hair and a mild skin condition. Beauty is in the eye of the beholder. (laughs) True. But I think we both think that Ryan Reynolds is objectively cute. Oh, he is. Uh, Maybe a little less on the dick-centric jokes. Sure. But, yeah, that's about it. So, how about you? Kind of along the dick joke thing. Uh, So while this movie is certainly very funny and it's very entertaining on its comedic merits, I don't think it's aging as well as it could have. And I don't think it will age very well as time passes because Hmm. a lot of the humor isn't original. And frankly, uh, the Deadpool shtick can wear thin depending on how it's being written. That latter notes, not for the movie specifically, it's more the comics. But comedies are tricky because the best ones have to balance originality with accessibility. You can be weird, but you also have to be understood. And a movie like, say, Anchorman is eminently quotable despite how old it is because it's a weird story about weird people who do and say weird stuff, almost all of which reverses expectations, and is unlike most mass market comedies up to that point because it tries to do different stuff. But then the Anchorman sequel, on the other hand, is a textbook example of how not to make a comedic film. But uh, that's a conversation for a different podcast. But Deadpool reverses expectations from start to finish by subverting the superhero film tropes and cliches. And just as Moana did for Disney princess cliches and tropes, Deadpool is rightfully applauded for reversing the expectations there, but it also fell into the same trap Moana fell into of 
despite highlighting and mocking those cliches and tropes, still abiding by some of them. Because it's one thing to point out, hey, look at all this generic comic book shit we're laughing at, and then another to still have some of those things in your movies. I think this film works best when it's rebelling against those norms. You know, for example, Deadpool shooting Francis halfway through the stirring heroic moments speech that Colossus is giving him. <laughs> Great. But then, as I mentioned, the showdown prior to that, it's, it's pretty textbook, big studio, comic book showdown stuff. Still good. Still like it. But this is one of those movies that will never be the same as the first time you saw it. The fourth wall breaking is great. It's really well executed, but it's been done plenty of times in cinema and television. Uh, and it's a gimmick that can't carry a movie on its own, let alone continue being fresh or reliable as we get more of these movies. So yeah, there are plenty of memorable moments, but unlike a truly good comedy, I feel like the memory of seeing this movie holds up better than the movie itself. <laughs> so, All fair. When they're breaking the fourth wall, it's it doesn't overstay its welcome. And in fact, it's one of the best jokes of the movie and one of the best original jokes of the movie that he at one point breaks the fourth wall within a memory that is breaking the fourth wall. And he then turns to the camera and says, hey, I'm breaking the fourth wall within the fourth wall. That's like 16 walls. <laughs> When they announced making a Deadpool movie, I said they better have at least one scene where he's talking to the audience, but the people around him are just confused. And they indeed do it. Mm -hmm. That was all great stuff, but being juvenile and being referential are funnier in the moment than they will be over time. Yeah. And again, we're saying this as pretty big fans of this. Yes. Please don't kill us, Deadpool. <laughs> Yeah, so, Jahan, take us home. All right, well, thanks for bearing with us as our posting schedule's been a bit weird. It's been a long 2019 for us already, but hopefully we'll get back yeah. to our bi-monthliness. And in the meantime, we would like to, as always, thank Catherine over at Lone Shoe Graphics for designing our delightful little logo. If you need any graphic design work done, look up Lone Shoe Graphics and ask for Catherine. And if you have thoughts on the movie, or us, or us talking about the movie... Feel free to email us at snarknightspod at gmail.com. And if you want to see some of the fun stuff we talked about posting on Twitter, in case you missed it earlier, our Twitter handle is at snarknightspod. We try to post uh, theatrical trailers, weird stuff behind the scenes and whatnot to add another layer beyond what we talk about here. So check those out and uh, enrich yourselves. Yeah, it's a fun world. Have fun with us. Even though we complain a lot. <laughs> So yeah, and now we are at my favorite part of this whole endeavor, where Luke's shaking a hat filled with pieces of paper with the names of comic book movies on them, and we will shortly discover our next project. I'm constantly tempted to, like, make up a shaking the hat song, but I don't want to interrupt the sound of shaking the hat. That's how our audience knows we do it. Accountability. <laughs> Ooh. Actually, this is a really interesting follow-up, because swords... Come and join us next time as we discuss 1998's Blade. Hey. So we will see you next time. And until then, I apologize for nothing.